What's up guys, welcome to Full Count. This is episode five. Today we're gonna to touch on remodeling, some of the ins and outs, and what to look out for. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Three balls, two strikes, pressure is on. This is where we discuss real estate, property improvement, and business. Together we'll strategize on how to win. Welcome to the Full Count. All right guys, so welcome to episode number five. Um, basically home remodels. Um, today we're gonna to talk about I guess some things to consider. And I think the number one thing you should consider when remodeling your home is, does it add value? Whether that's financial value or personal value, that'll be up to you to decide which one's more important, um, depending on who you talk to. So I'm saying personal value is up here and financial value doesn't matter. If you're looking more towards um, like a place that's gonna be a flip, or you're looking to sell in the next couple of years, and then I advise looking more towards the financial value. And yeah, with that being said, um, I think we can get into the financial aspect or the financial side first, and then jump in towards the, the personal value. Do you guys have anything to say on that? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. If you want to talk on the uh, first about the financial aspect of it, of a remodel. Um, but first, before we go, even go into that specific, why would someone want to start off with uh, financial uh, component of remodeling, like you said, I think to reiterate, right. to sell it, put it on the market sometime soon, to um, I don't know, get it reappraised the property, right? So it's a higher value. Uh, right. What's another way of doing it? To I think you said it the other day to me. You basically by remodeling your home, it incentivizes your neighbor to want to remodel their home, and then it kind of raises property value in the neighborhood. Yeah, so that that's kind of a little bit on the. The financial and the personal when it's like sure. keeping up with the joneses i know we, we touched on that yep. a little bit but yeah if you're starting to remote, renovate your house and all of a sudden you have the prettiest house in the neighborhood then your neighbor might look at it and be like you know what i think that looks really good i'm going to do something similar or something of my own style and then all of a sudden if over a couple of years everybody starts to remodel their house now you have a neighborhood that has started to grow and look nicer overall and overall in general and mm -hmm. then that's how you get these these neighborhoods that grow in value. I mean, you're the realtor, Andrew, right? You're always trying to sell the good looking house and people look for opportunity when there's the least good looking house on the neighborhood because they know that if they put a little bit of money into that, then mm -hmm. the value's only gonna go up. Correct. Now, go ahead. I was just gonna say that uh, if you're looking at it through the eyes of an investor, you wanna go into a decent looking neighborhood and you wanna find, like you said, the ugliest house essentially, as long as it has good bones and things like that, then you, you know, you give it a facelift, right? Make it nicer and immediately it brings up its value to par more so with everyone else in the, in the neighborhood. Exactly. Now on the financial side, when you're talking about a flip versus like your forever home, there may be, you know, one thing I see with clients is that they don't necessarily go top of the line, super expensive material and super custom because they don't want to get something that only fits a certain people or a certain, you know, clientele who are going to come in and buy that. So what I see there is people tend to use a little more, you know, pretty nice, nice level material, but more on the generic side, more on the current trends. That mm -hmm. way, when people come in and see the house, they're like, oh, this looks a little bit more modern. It looks newer and it's not sure. so specific. Right. And also when it comes to the, the price point. You don't want to spend a crazy amount of money On that materials. somebody might not like material wise. And then also it might be harder to sell because somebody might come in and see this kitchen and living room and be like, Oh, this is new, but it's not my style. Correct. Yep. 
Totally. And, and then you put a bunch of money in as the investor for something that is a little bit harder to sell. And then you got to find that right person. Would you agree with that as like a, a real estate background? I, I think for the most majority of investors, they're in that element of let's go ahead and remodel this home to whatever's trending and popular in these times within the next um, year to two years from now. Right. So, yeah. yeah, I agree. And they don't want to use top of the line material on countertops or backsplash um, because it's obviously more cost costly and their profit margins start to diminish. So generally they want to use something a little bit um, less expensive. This is kind of your, your domain. They'll use something less expensive, right, Stephen? But it's yeah. durable and nice looking enough that a home, a potential buyer walking in will be like, aha, this is beautiful. But right. you know, majority of those buyers don't know the difference between an okay material and a superb material, unless, you know, some of them are very, you know, experienced and they like, you know, touch the material and they start to get an idea. But overall, most, uh, most buyers don't know, um, especially if they're not experienced, but my job as an agent, I walk in there with my client and I'll kind of be able to tell if it's good material or not. Exactly. And sometimes you'll have similar material that looks really close, but can vary anywhere from, I don't know, $5 a square foot to, you know, 275. That, sure. that, that difference over a, a large amount of square footage that adds up. So if you're trying to minimize costs while still having something that looks really nice at the end of the day, the quality of work is what's going to make it look amazing. Right. Yes. And I have a question for the both of you, too. Uh, first, I'll start off with Stephen. But in my opinion, over the last three years or so, um, around 2019, I, I started seeing what was phasing out was like the gray colors, right? The gray floors and things like that. Gray and white, uh, more so gray than white, was kind of the trend. And 2020, 2021, I felt like that was kind of going away, going back to like Maybe a little bit of gray, but more browns, more like natural colors. Mm -hmm. um, Steven, if you can answer what the latest trend is now that you've been seeing, uh, especially like in the millennial market, maybe. And then Nick, after he answers that, I want to see, Nick, what you're seeing in Boston, um, things like that. And that's funny to that say, because in the millennial market, like people in the late 20s, early 30s, I've actually been seeing a lot of, a lot of white and like natural wood color. As on the flooring floor. not gray flooring. anymore right i'm sorry not gray anymore no not floor. gray people really yeah. like like the light almost mm -hmm. whitewashed looking uh natural wood color as far as flooring i've seen a lot of white cabinets with darker darker countertops or like your background your wall i've seen i've seen several cabinet kitchen cabinets be in, in really green yeah exactly looks, you know i think about it really good mm -hmm. and Have you what started changing too is like when it comes to closets, people used to kind of white everything out in bedrooms. Now people are selecting kind of like you did in the background. They're selecting these like statement walls where mm. they do a lot of like that shiplap or the whip screening, I believe it's called. And then they color it like a real, real pop color. That they, a pop color with texture then sort of. Yeah, in a way. But like your wall right there, when you come into that room, I'm sure that wall is the first thing you notice. And it's like, wow, that's a beautiful wall. Yeah, this accent wall, I really like it a lot because what you said, it's like uh, makes a statement. Um, it's a dark color, but at the same time, it also has a, the, the walls uh, it has its own texture, which is really nice. So I agree with you on that. I really like that you brought that up. And before, um, and before we jump to Nick, sorry, Nick, but I want to say like a, a statement wall like that, that might not necessarily be something that increases value on the financial side. 
that could be something more personal side because somebody could come in and be like, that's a cool looking wall. I hate the color. Let me add to that, actually. Um, I agree and disagree. I, I more so agree with you. You're right. Like, if I was to put this, my, my place on, on the market, immediately what I would do, cause, because you're correct, this isn't everyone's color. Like, this is more like male the male color, I think, in my opinion, like dominant, like someone that's like trying to, you know, I don't know, whatever. But buyers coming in, there might be some other people that aren't into that. So what I would do as an agent, you know, representing myself in this case, I would paint this white immediately. I'd leave the 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 panels, the wood panels, but right. I'd paint it white immediately. And that would get, get it more to a neutral state. Interesting. Yeah, because the darker color makes it look a little smaller depending on the room and the lighting and all of Correct. that. You know, um, but I mean, here in New England, you still see a lot of the dark or the light gray, the white, like faded white, you know, to match with the black and stainless steel appliances that they put in if they do renovation. Right. And then, I mean, down in Florida, from from what I've seen, there is still some of like the light gray uh, to slightly darker, a little darker gray. Um but a lot I'm sorry of, to cut you off, Nick. Those colors tend to be a little bit more cost effective. Right. Which I believe is why maybe you still see some of that when it comes to flipping. Mm -hmm. uh, like, you it's know, true. buying and then reselling. A lot of the times when I see as far as like flooring, the price per square foot is usually less expensive with like those light grays or those laminate floorings that have Interesting a point. gray in there. Yeah. So that, that might be why we, we can still see a lot of those around. Right. And that, that makes sense. And then it also shows less dirt being a little exactly. OCD and very yeah. particular about cleansiness. It definitely shows less dirt. And also, you know, the wood flooring, so that type of color, but also the tan, you know, like the, the tan walls, kind of like the walls that you and I have here, right? You see a lot of that as well in a lot of houses. So I, I think that's a good place to, to kind of pivot to start to talk about and get your perspective, Stephen. Sure. on what makes most sense for somebody to do and consider remodeling, whether or not, you know, it they would get a return on their investment, right, for what they're paying right. for it, whether it would increase their home value overall or not. Uh, what, are you, what are you seeing as far as those aspects go? Well, since we're touching on flooring, so flooring is a big one that does tend to um, give you a return on investment. Now, it, it depends on the type of flooring. Um, like if you're going, you know, natural wood, hardwood floors, those tend to give you a pretty, not necessarily your full cost back, um, but they do maximize the amount of cost that you to get back. A lot of like the laminate flooring that I'm seeing, if you get like a really nice color that a lot of people tend to like, I'm also seeing a pretty good investment, like return on investment on those. There are other materials like, um, what is it called? I, I'm blanking out um tile floor ceramic um stone tile, floor. tile does pretty good too um it just depends there's different feels to it so if you get like a hardwood floor you're gonna get a little bit you know more of like a expensive look a nice like warmer kind of feel to it terracotta tile maybe when you go to tile tiles get kind of like a colder they're, they're, they tend to stay pretty cool you know so if you're walking around barefoot you're gonna feel a lot of like that cold sensation it's pretty hard um, if you're going towards like a carpet then you know that's a softer, warmer, more comfy feel. But they're they're prone to staining. They're prone to 
just kind of wear and tear in, in certain walkway areas. So it depends on the material. I would say hardwood floor, laminate floor, or engineered wood are the ones that kind of do the best as far as return on your cost. And just just to to add to that, uh, maybe we'll add an overlay, but uh, according to the National Association of Realtors' uh, latest um, statistics in 2022, when it comes to the interior um, component of a house, the remodel that you get the highest cost recovery tends to be for interior, tends to be new hardwood floors of 118% cost recovery. Uh, if you refinish your floors, if they're still in decent shape, but you refinish them, it's 147% approximately cost recovery. And then mm-hmm. from there, you know, it's, you know, closet renovations and things like that. So I, right. just Including bathrooms bathroom. and kitchens. Yeah. Bathrooms and kitchens are pretty much up there as far as floors. for sure. For sure. Yeah. I was, I was actually surprised to see that flooring was one of the most biggest components as far as return on investment. But then also another one pretty up there on the list is uh, insulation, which I guess makes sense from, you know, an efficiency and cost perspective for, you know, energy. Yes. Now, before we go further about insulation, I saw that too, and I was a little bit surprised. But I think, again, this is a National Association of Realtors. Um, If we're thinking California alone, the weather is great here overall. that in terms of places like New England, like where you're at, insulation is even more so important because it gets so damn cold. Yeah, I so agree. I think that's the only reason why that tends to be higher than we both ex- than we all expected, essentially, because it would be so important for that. That's probably the first question a buyer may ask, maybe somewhere in the East Coast rather than the West Coast. I don't even think that's something they really bring up too often. Well, I mean, well, I, that's, that's one of the first things that I know I ask as a buyer is, you know, what the electric costs are, the cooling costs, the heating costs, you know, the insulation looks like, what it's insulated with, right? Um, Because not not only here in New England, yeah, but Mm -hmm. not only here in New England, right, where it gets cold and colder climates, but also in places where it gets much warmer, like down in Florida, yeah, in Texas, in the Midwest, right? I mean, you need good insulation to keep cool. Correct. And Andrew, to, to touch on that, Andrew, like I, I, I was just in my garage that's not insulated. And I mean, it's what, 90 degrees outside in California right now, if that. And and it is really hot in there. So compared to the house that's insulated, it's a big difference. So if you have poor insulation, even living in California, it's going to be hard to maintain that cool temperature. So that's that, it's not just like an East Coast thing. I think, I think Nick's got a point there as far as you're not just dealing with cold, but you're also dealing with warm weathers. Yeah, no, I totally agree because now I'm stepping, taking a step back from reading that. I'm trying to read it not as an agent because I'm always thinking about financial in terms of uh, selling. Um, when I'm, I'm also reading it as a homeowner too, like you, like you kind of pointed out. Okay, I'm living in my my place right now. If it had bad insulation, within a week I would start to notice maybe, right? Of course, yeah. So. I get I get that statistic more so now now that I've that now that we've realized that it's not just on the gain for selling or reappraisal it's also for living the living space of it and then bringing down the energy costs too. Right, and and then to touch on that before we jump onto like away from the financial side, but that whole living experience that's one of the big reasons why a lot of people will also do a remodel. Correct. Like you said you can feel it right away. That's some you buy a house in, in December by March, April, you're like, oh man, it is really hot in here. I got to do something about this insulation, the windows, whatever it may be. 
Correct. And then before we get off the topic of the financial aspect yeah, of the remodel, of let's talk about the exterior. Number one, I mean, I see on here, and we'll put it on. Uh, roofing is one of the ones that's 100% um, recovery, which I can see why. And then the garage door. Most most of my clients or people I speak to in real estate, I mean, that aren't in real estate but are in the process of selling or buying, first thing I tell them to do, upgrade your, your garage. That's instantly going to bring curb appeal. Same thing with your, your front door. That's also going to get capture someone's attention to want to see your home and and separate it from other homes in the area. I had Matt uh, Settles, a loan officer, a friend of mine. He was a guest on the last episode, and he was we were talking about curb appeal, the exterior of his home, how he improved landscaping, he improved the garage door, uh, among other things. He got rid of stone and put nice wood panels, and he also put a nice vibrant color on the door. So those things like that are very important too. Yeah, and it's funny that you touch on landscaping because I've I've read mixed things when it comes to landscaping. Like too ex too extensive or extensive landscaping projects might not necessarily hundred percent get your your cost back, right? So it's got to be like a fine balance of you don't want to overdo it, correct? And, and, and drive away that nice appeal where it looks almost too personal. To correct. Do something that, to bring um, it back to Nick's everybody. point. Yeah, to bring it back to Nick's point um, on episode four with Matt, the reason why he did landscaping, he did it very simple. Um, he used a lot of desert plants. And the reason being is he wanted to bring his cost well, down from watering, watering the front lawn. He had a bunch of grass. He says, you know what? I'm going to have gravel here instead. I'm going to add these desert plants and things like that for the energy cost to come down. But it looks beautiful. It got curb appeal and he brought his cost down. So I think he did. He knocked it out of the park. But things like you have to be careful and go with the trends of the area that you're in, right? Because yes, in Southern California, that's more of an appeal, right? And then, you know, maybe certain <laughs> places in in Texas, things like that. But then you go to other places like here in New England, I mean, certain areas, you know, on the on the East Coast in general, that's not necessarily the appeal. People aren't uh, I, I disagree. I think you're right. It depends on the bracket of demographic of buyers or sellers you're looking for. On the East Coast, um, Nick, in, in Boston or New York or wherever, or even Florida, you know, the price points that are much higher appeals everything still. The exterior. In a way. Interior. No, it not is. in a way. It's it, not in a way. It's a fact. Dr believe me. I don't, I don't think so. Hold on. I kind of side with Nick a little bit here because I have no. family in Chicago. And uh -huh. the way that their homes are built, it's completely It's older. It's different. historical. Yeah. A lot of their homes are built upwards and kind of more narrow. Mm -hmm. Where, like, I have family who have, you know, two to three story uh, houses, I guess, in including the basement. And they don't have much front yard space, much backyard space. The houses are, like, six feet apart from each other. And, and there's not much landscaping there. So, I mean, they all kind of look very similar. I'm not talking landscape. I'm talking appeal, curb appeal, or oh, the, okay. the aspect of the the beauty behind the structure, or whatever. Oh, for yes, sure. as certain areas you outside, and you like give it a paint. Let's just say you can paint right. it. Oh man, you can yeah. make that house look completely different. That's what I'm saying. I, I I know I understand where you're getting at, Nick. In terms of like, there's certain areas where it's cool to kind of have it rugged exterior, and it, it's whatever. No one cares. But once you walk in, they want to see it beautiful. Again, depending on price point and and things like that neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I get what you're saying now. I, I think because you you just you completely said it doesn't apply to. You almost implied that in the East Coast. I just wanted to bring it back that that you know maybe right. to some degree that you're you're 100 accurate. 
But in the grand scheme of things, on the macro aspect, I that's where I disagree. Yeah. And if I may, guys, so to, to bring it all back, I know we started on, yeah. on the, the flooring aspect, but some of the other things that give you, you know, relatively high percentage back on your cost is something, of course, the flooring. And we touched on landscaping. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the next big one is going to be bathroom remodels and kitchen remodels. So those two are the ones that you can kind of minimize your costs as far as material on price per square footage or the, the, the expensive material and mm-hmm. still get a big percentage back. Because as long as, like I said, the quality of work is there, those are the things that when people walk into those rooms too, it's nice to go, wow, this is a really nice restroom. For sure. And it'll add value to your home if you're trying to sell later, but also personal value if you know, you're living and you redid your restroom, then that's also great. But those yeah, are the two things that I think are also up on the list as far as bringing value back to your home. I think those are the two features of a home that's always like number one. You start with those two and then it comes to garage, roofing yeah. and everything else we discussed, the floors, because the first thing you see when you walk into a home is almost immediately is the floors. And then but the number one priority is bathrooms and in kitchen. So, you know, and most people spend their time in the kitchen, too, especially nowadays with the layout of the home. The kitchen tends to be the area where everyone kind of hangs out and things like that. I could vouch for that. And you know what? It's funny if you watch uh, if you watch like a lot of these home remodel ones. Uh, when I was younger, you know, in high school, or whatever, and I'd see my mom or dad watching one of those home remodel ones, the first thing they would always say is, "Oh, we got to tear this wall down." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Ah, oh, that's such a like." I don't know. I didn't really like it at the time. I was like, "Why don't we say the same thing?" Yeah. And now I get it. Now I'm seeing how so many people want to open up the living space and kind of connect their dining area and their kitchen or their living area and and I'm getting a lot of, you know, tearing walls down to open up the space. So that's another one, too, that I think uh, people really enjoy and make the house feel bigger. Yeah, because in the ni- in the early 1900s and I don't know, even 1800s, but that's I don't even see that out here in the West Coast. That's more of an East Coast thing, if anything. But in the 1900s, early 1900s, you know, property was smaller. A lot of properties only had one bed, one bathroom for the most part or two. That's it. Um and the rooms were all divided into its own little areas, right? Right. Um, and then nowadays, especially people with the smaller square footage, they want to blow everything out so that they feel like it's bigger. And it's also more of a trend in the last 20 years or so to have an open space as well. Yeah, because it's more of a European heritage uh, thing that they came from, right? So I know you haven't been to Europe yet, Andrew, and you're going you know, in a couple of weeks. But mm-hmm. you'll see when you get there all the apartments, all the buildings Small. that you go inside. Yeah, have smaller rooms, yes. right? I mean, the ones that are being remodeled now there, Different. they're opening up a little bit, but it's still not as uh, accepted as an open floor plan as it is here in the US, right? So, yep. but on that note, uh, Stephen, I kind of yeah. want to get into what some people should consider as far as pros and cons, uh, different things they should look at if they're looking to do a remodel, right? I know there's a, there's yeah, a couple of, of pieces on whether they're looking to sell the house soon, whether they're looking to stay in it, you know, a little long term or some other use cases. Of course. So each, each remodel has its own pros and cons, right? Um, when you're talking about floor, the material you select is really important because when you're talking about something on the higher end price point, like uh, natural wood floors, those tend to get scratched easily. You can see dents, and if you don't take care of it, 
then you're going to start to see the wear and tear a lot more similar with carpets and rugs. Um, so there is, you know, different materials that it's important to learn about before you do that remodel and see what kind of lifestyle you have and what would best suit you. Like I myself, um, I, I installed in my house the new laminate floor um, because I have dogs. It's scratch resistant, water resistant. Mm. So, you know, if you're going to spend the money to redo your floor, you want to make sure that it's going to accommodate your lifestyle. And for me, it was, you know, having friends over, you know, having my dogs and making sure that this floor can withstand or withstand, I mean, the, the amount of traffic and activities that we like to have here. Um, when it comes to basically all remodels, you, the number one thing to consider is the material, I think. And, and also, are you ready to, to pull the trigger on that remodel? So I don't know if this kind of talks about something else, but what I mean by being able to and really ready to pull the trigger on the remodel is, are you, do you have a budget in mind? Do you have something planned out as far as the things you want to do? And if you have that budget, do you, I mean, I've heard a lot of people, I usually recommend having at least like a 20% budget, 20% of your budget Extra. on top of your budget. Like the miscellaneous extra miscellaneous. things that go wrong, right? Things that go wrong and not necessarily wrong, but a lot of the times when you start to peel the layers off, especially in an old home, if you're, if you're working with an old house, like mine's a hundred years old. Every time I peeled the layer off, I would notice that something's on the verge of breaking or mm -hmm. was already broken. And in order to repair that, you have to kind of fix, you have to backtrack. So a lot of people don't consider that. When remodeling a kitchen, you know there's going to be drywall work as well. You know that some of the plumbing might not be up to code or in a proper standard. So you think, okay, this kitchen might cost me $8,000, but there might be an additional $1,200 of, you know, repiping or drywall work or uh, electrical to, to move certain outlets from section to section. Because now, and if you grew your kitchen, you want certain outlets in different areas. That's why it's important, I think, to have an additional, like, 20% of your budget on top for miscellaneous costs, damages, or, or just unexpected things. Steven, would you say though, 20% would more so apply to, I'm just generalizing here, a home that's maybe built in the 1960s and after, but a, uh, something built in the 1920s or sooner, like a hundred year old home like yours, mm -hmm. maybe you should have a higher buffer, maybe 25, 30% or are you saying 20% for like the 100 year old homes and they maybe a little bit less for newer homes? I um, I would say 20 to 30% for the older okay. ones and then a newer home, you know, I think that 20% you'd be okay. Okay. Because yeah. my job too as a contractor is to come in and tell you, okay, before we start doing any demo, these are the things that you can start to expect. This is what's under this. This is, you know, this house was built in this time, so there's certain wiring is ran this way. So I, before we even get to that point, this is what you can expect moving forward. So that separates you from a lot of other contractors. And in my opinion, I've seen all of them, all types. Some will just walk in and say, this is going to cost 12,000 to do the kitchen. The floor is going to cost another 8,000 or whatever. And that's it. That's They just look at it very, um, very simply and that's it. But someone like yourself right. will walk in, maybe generalize on, on the, on the on the expenses as well but they'll go to the kitchen they'll open things up they'll touch things they'll ask for a year's permits and things like that and say okay right. because i did all this research it's actually going to be not twelve thousand for the kitchen it's going to be fifteen thousand because of you know whatever um situation it might be at that time right and i also want them to feel comfortable when it comes to 
because a lot I really dislike you know saying it costs ten thousand dollars and then be like you know what I need an additional two thousand dollars or I need this to do that like that's not cool and it happens sometimes it does happen there's things that I myself can't see from the outside I have to literally break it apart and get to that point to be like oh wow then I'll bring the customer in I'll be like this is what's going on here Um, I recommend we do it this way if you don't do it this way there's a chance that later whatever we just installed is going to get damaged again if this breaks Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so somebody should can. So basically, I mean, to recap, somebody should consider when the home was built, when the last everything time that that room was remodeled, right? If there right. was any interior remodeling done prior, uh, if there was Absolutely. any damage done to the house in you know in the past or you know recently, and look at those yeah. factors, Absolutely. and then and then look at okay, are they doing this to you know fix it up, and then they're looking to sell it. Are they looking to stay in the house for Correct. a longer period of time? Uh, oh, they're looking. That's, that's another one, Nick. Mm-hmm. Are you living in the in the? Are you there? Are you going to be living there while construction is going on? Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be remodeling your kitchen, and a, and a kitchen remodel takes anywhere between one to two weeks, let's just say based on the size. Um, are you going to be? Where are you going to eat? You know, are you going to be eating out every day? Is it something that like we're remodeling a house right now in Southern California? big kitchen. And I told the customers, I said, Hey, I recommend, you know, you guys have a two year old. I recommend if you guys are have the means, maybe getting a hotel and kind of staying away from the property for a little bit, because there's going to be a lot of noises. It's going to be dusty. We're going to do our best to close it off and ventilate everything. Mm-hmm. But you know, with a two year old, one year old, it's, it's going to be really hard on them with the noises and everything going on. They told me, no, we'll be okay. No problem. I said, okay, cool. I wanted to communicate that with them. Mm-hmm. Day one, they came to me. They're like, hey, you know what? Um, here's a copy of the keys. We've got a lockbox. We're going to go stay in a hotel. <laughs> and I told them, I said, hey, no yeah. problem. You have my phone number. You can FaceTime. You can call. You're welcome to come in whenever. We'll be here. This is what's going on. I said, you know, I never tell them to leave because oh, I don't want them to be around. No, it's about the comfort. So a big part to consider is, are you willing to live in a place that's going to be in construction, a construction zone for the next week or so? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had I've known people who've, you know, had their kitchen remodeled. And, you know, the time that it was going on, they were living there, but they had to wash their dishes in their bathroom sink. <laughs> yeah. They got like a hot plate and, you know, just used a microwave to eat for like three months while the remodel was going on. So it could be tough. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's another thing have, to consider. Yeah. Or, or if you only have one bathroom, right? Exactly. You're getting your yeah. bathroom remodeled. So there's those type of things to consider for sure. Um, what about the kind of amenity items that people either install or have put in like swimming pools, you know, in-home gyms, which is a much bigger thing now over the past couple of years. Um, even, you know, certain amenities in the backyard, maybe, you know, jacuzzi areas or decks, things like that. How often do you see that? And What's your type of recommendations for somebody looking to put one of those in? Yeah, so I think that kind of transitions more towards the personal value. Right. Now, now Andrew and I had a little bit different um, thoughts as far as adding a pool. But if we transition more towards actual personal value, the, the initial question is your remodel add value to whether you financially or personally. Now, I think a home gym is great. I think having a jacuzzi is great. Having a pool, all that is great. Having a home office. These are things that if you have set money aside, let's say you have your the little means. budget, 
to, to remodel a room into an office. But all you do is work from home and you're working at your kitchen table and your dogs are bugging you. Like that's gonna add a huge value to be able to separate yourself, go into that little office and kind of have this room where it's like, this is where I work and when I leave, my work stays in that room. So that's adding personal value, that's adding more comfort and that's not necessarily gonna increase the value of your house to, to convert your second bedroom into a little office, right? Because somebody who buys a house next is gonna be like, oh, this is now a second bedroom for my five-year-old or whatever. But personal value, I think, is also something that you should consider when it comes to the financial side. Is the three, $4,000 gonna make me feel better every day for the next year or two while I work from home? Mm-hmm. I don't know, would yeah. you agree, Andrew? No, I, I totally agree with that. Um... When you're living in your home, the reason why you buy a home, I mean, everyone looks at it somewhat as an investment because it is, but at the same time, it's more so personal, right? That's why people buy homes uh, besides it on the financial aspect, but you want to feel comfortable there. You want to be, you know, you don't want to be working from your kitchen, your back's hurting because you're on a bar stool. And like you said, (laughs) your dogs are barking, your kids are running around. If you have kids, you're going to at that point say, you know what? I want my own space, especially if I'm working from home. I got to spend the money on an office. Let's go ahead and either build out a whole new uh, square footage and structure for it, or let's convert a bedroom into an office. So it just depends on on the scenario, but personal value in some ways can be even more important than the financial. I agree with that. Yeah, definitely. Agree. And I mean, depending on, again, geography, where you live, you know, the, some of these things might add a little bit more value than others. Mm-hmm. You might get a little bit more return on your investment than others, right? For sure. Like having, having a pool in Florida, you could probably get more of your return investment than yep. in other places, especially here in New England. It's also going to cost you more if you have a pool here where it gets cold and it gets into the freezing temperatures because a lot of times you have to drain it. You have to prepare for the winter and all yep. that. And then so you have to re- work. Yeah, a lot and of work. A lot of work, a lot of money for maintenance, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Andrew, when it comes to a pool, I know we, we had a little bit different thought or viewpoints on that. I'd like to hear next, too, because in my opinion, I think um, adding a pool is more of a personal and not so, ne- so much necessarily a financial gain. Uh, Andrew, you disagree. I think yeah. that adding a pool could be a little bit um, more of a loss in the future. Now, I guess it does depend on the neighborhood and where you're at. Yeah. Well, I agree a lot with you. I think overall, it. I mean, it's hard to generalize. I'm trying to put my mindset in different neighborhoods, different price points, things like that. But overall, I would say before uh, the last five years, I think a pool wasn't as it was a big feature, but it wasn't uh, as big of a feature as it is today in terms of importance of having a pool. Uh, Before, I don't think it was as big just because maintenance uh, potential lawsuits you can get with kids coming over and someone, God forbid, getting hurt or even worse. Um, so it's liability is, a, is an issue too. And then just the pain in the ass essentially to clean it or hire someone. So um, that was then. I think now though, people you know, people have, were locked in their homes for quite some time. They want to have access to go into a pool and relax and not have to leave the home. I think that's big. But at the same time, in order to have a pool, I think in order for this to this demand for the feature of a pool to continue going forward, the economy has to be good because if the economy goes down, which it could sometime very soon, then yeah. people can't afford a pool guy. They can't afford the chemicals. They can't afford all the maintenance. So I think it just depends. It's kind of like goes up and down. 
Um, so long story short, though, in, in, in the West Coast, when it comes to very expensive neighborhoods and things like that, I think a pool is important to add into, into it because it'll separate you from other homes in that neighborhood where it's a million dollars or multiple million dollars and higher. If you have yeah. a pool, it's much better and it'll separate you from everyone else and you'll get a higher return on investment. And but to, to comment on that, to comment on that, you know what I have noticed actually, at least in Southern California, there's a fine balance in between where I think people understand the cost and the risk with adding a pool. Mm-hmm but they still want that. So one of the things that I've been seeing a lot of, especially when you look at Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, all those things is a plunge pool. So plunge pools have been something that, you know, have grown in popularity, I think the last five to 10 years, where it's not necessarily this big, huge pool, but Mm -hmm. they section off a little portion of their backyard and do like a, you know, six foot plunge pool. Sure. But here's the thing too. A lot of it is also, uh, when people are out shopping for a home, their perception is, oh, I'm going to enjoy the pool or the plunge pool every weekend. I can't wait to have barbecues, all that. <laughs> yeah, they have that mindset that they're going to actually use it. And in reality, they never use it. But most people, it's like a, 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 a what do you call it? A circling door. Just they have that mindset. Oh, I'm going to use it. I need a pool. I'm going to pay extra for this home because it has a pool. And they never generally use it as much as they yeah. intended to use it. Yeah, I mean, that's the case, I think, for a lot of people. But, I mean, I think generalizing in warmer climates, it's I important. think you do. Montana, yeah. it's not. I'm yeah, sure yeah. Montana. Yeah, no. <laughs> unless <laughs> it's indoor. Hours, unless yeah. it's indoor. Unless it's an indoor pool, maybe it is important. Yeah, but, exactly. You know. Less upkeep on an indoor pool, but also more expensive initially, right? But, I mean, in warmer climates, like I, can, I know I could speak for the market in Florida, right? A pool, you are going to get your return on investment. Um, it is going to differentiate your house to other houses that don't have a pool. Correct. Buyers are going to go towards the house that has a pool versus that doesn't have a pool. So, but just to tell the audience though, uh, when, 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 uh, Steven and I are talking most of the time, we're kind of, uh, referring to the West coast, but that's, what's great about having you on Nick, even though you're not necessarily in the ins and out of uh, remodels or construction and real estate, but you do have some experience in that and business, but you also have the mindset of the East coast. So you help us bring it back to more of a macro situation. So that's mm-hmm. good. Right. Exactly. Um, how one question on, on this, I want to ask you, and then we could just uh, pivot to the next topic here, Stephen is sure. how much have you seen in home gyms being put in say, over the past, like two years since COVID started? Yeah, I've seen a lot of uh, garage conversions. So a lot of people insulating their garage because their garage gets really hot in the summer. So people have been wanting to insulate the garage. That way it stays cooler. They add maybe a little portable AC, a window AC, and then boom, you got yourself a fresh little gym where all they got to do is buy, you know, whether it's a big weight set, um, add like half inch, three quarter inch rubber mat flooring. And I've seen a pretty good amount of conversions. And, And on my part, more insulation installation because people tell me oh yeah I, you know i don't have the weights yet or i don't have this this and that but i got to make sure that garage gets cooler mm-hmm. because i want to convert that into a, a little home gym so i have done i have seen an increase over the last especially during covid that was one of the yeah. big things mm-hmm. making sure people's garages insulated covered drywall adding maybe can lights and just eliminating that garage feel and converting it more towards like a bright you know, cool room where they can 
add a TV, play some music, and then eventually mm -hmm. get the weights in there. So yeah, I have seen a, uh, an increase in as far as insulating the garage and making sure that it's a, a cooler, tighter place. Right. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense with, you know, COVID and the focus on personal. And surprisingly, health. sorry, you know what I've also noticed too, um, as far as insulating a garage, electric cars. So a lot of people oh, in yeah. Southern California um, who have recently bought a Tesla, they, they, uh, what I've encountered is some people are, uh, are having problems charging their vehicle because the garage is too hot and the, the car literally doesn't allow it to charge. Hmm. So they have to insulate the garage and, and bring down the temperature in order to allow it to charge. That's the first time I've heard that. Interesting. Yeah. So I've had a couple, I've had a couple experiences with that where it's too hot in there and, and it, the, the vehicles literally, it's like when your iPhone yeah. is left in the sun and it's like, I can't work right now. This doesn't right. have to do with the amps in the box though, right? This is a separate thing. You're talking no, literally the heat external. because of the, okay. literally the temperature yeah. doesn't allow it for charging. So I've had to insulate garages in order to let people, because people were like, yeah, I keep coming to my car and there's no battery in it. And, and then they call Tesla and they're like, oh yeah, well, what's the temperature in there? This, this and that. And then it literally says like in the car, I haven't seen mm -hmm. it, but clients tell me that the temperature is too hot for the car to continue charging. Hmm. Well, yeah, like when the like when you said the iPhone gets too hot, it just shuts down, and you get the little screen that says you know exactly. So I've, I've, yeah, I've gone to several garages and had to install insulation, install some form of uh, venting system in their little so in between the insulation and the roof. Um, I forgot the name of these things that we install, but you create a channel, basically like a two inch gap in between the insulation and the roof, and then like a venting system to, to keep the airflow coming in and out and then prevent it from passing through. And that severely drops the temperature in there. And then they don't have the problem charging their vehicles anymore. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. important. I like that. Yeah. I like that you brought that up. That's a good point. And it's by the different. way, it, yeah, it's a very, very different uh, new issue, I guess you could say. But at the same time, uh, for me, like certain clients of mine, especially I'm talking for buyers, when I have buyers go see property with me and they narrow it down to two or three that they really love, I always recommend if, you know, if they want to bring in a, a contractor like Steven to come in and see the house with them. And they can kind of give them the ins and outs of what potential issues they may have or what they mm -hmm. can do, where the uh, low bearing wall is and things like that. So I think that's right. important when it comes to a contractor to come and vet the house for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like to be open. I mean, like when you're talking about, you know, going back to the remodel site, when you're talking about selecting a contractor to work with, I think it's important that there is some form of either contract or open communication because it'll protect you as a homeowner and myself as a contractor. I always like to, to create a contract that lays out exactly the work that we're going to be doing, the steps, the time frame, and then here's the cost. And if you have any questions, you know, we can meet up and refer to the contract. And I always make sure that, you know, the customer signs and agrees with everything. We go over it together. And then that way, when they come in, like, oh, what are you guys working on today? Oh, this portion right here. You know, I like that you do that. Mm -hmm. You keep it very mm -hmm. professional and you get what you pay for, too. I think you're actually... Uh, rated pretty well in terms of your price points. I think you're very reasonable for uh, the service you offer and your professionalism. But again, there's some buyers or not buyers, but 
clients that, you know, they want to go on the very cheap end, right? They want to spend as little as possible on a contractor that will cut mm-hmm. corners and they're cool with it. But then when they hire them, then, you know, things start happening and then they regret it. So I really right. like that you do that. I think that's key. So Stephen, what's some things that if somebody's looking to do a remodel sure. and they're kind of testing out some contractors, having some initial conversations, what's some things that they should look for as far as, you know, the contractor being insured, bonded, licensed, et cetera? Yeah, I think, I think having the license insurance and bond are, are very important, especially if you're doing a, a larger scale remodel. You want to make sure that if something were, you know, God forbid to, to go wrong, that you're covered not only as a homeowner, but as a, as a contractor like myself. And one of the things that I like to do personally is I like to keep most of the things in-house. So if it's something that myself or my team can do, then, then we do it. We don't, we don't like to subcontract too much. There's times where you need a specific trade to come in and, uh, you know, take care of that thing. And that's also part of the contract. In the contract, it says, you know, we're like, we might subcontract uh, for this, this, and that. But for the most part, we will be doing the scope of work here, 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 and here. And what that does is, first of all, it'll minimize your cost, right? Even though, even though I'm technically a general contractor, our team is not really subcontracting as as much as maybe other contractors. We mm-hmm. we have a pretty solid team with a wide range of uh, ability that is able to do whether it's plumbing, drywall, painting, and we kind of work as a squad to take, you know, to, to take control of those situations. So I think when you're when you're looking at a contractor or picking somebody to work with, uh, maybe asking them to, hey, is this something that you're going to be subcontracting or or are you going to be doing the work yourself? How does that work? Because that could also take into effect the overall price of the project. And then also liability. Like I've heard of nightmare stories where a general contractor subcontracts a plumber to come in and the contractor wasn't there, gave access to the guy to come in and work on some pipe work inside. Mm-hmm. Um, plumber was uh, doing some soldering in the wall, accidentally lit insulation didn't notice and the house lit on fire oh, shit. Uh-huh. so you know if, if that subcontractor yeah. doesn't have insurance doesn't have a license or any of that then it all falls on the contractor if the contract is not insured and they could just disappear if there's mm-hmm. no contract or anything they're just gone who knows you know and now you as a homeowner now you're stuck with a burnt down house you're dealing with your insurance there's a lot of things that could go wrong that's why i think it's it's good to work with somebody who's licensed bonded Ensure, you know, dealing with a good, clear contract and understands, hey, this is what's going on. This is what we're going to do. These are the steps. This is a price breakdown. And if you want to be there watching us work, great. Come on in. You know, I'm, we're going to do what we need to do. And and I'm, I like to be open and clear about what it is, what's the process, what step are we at. And I mean, I don't recommend you stay because it's going to be loud. It's going to be dirty. I was going to ask oh, you, yeah. do you see people oftentimes want to watch it, watch your work as you're doing it? Or do most people just let you do what you're doing? Like I was talking to Italians, <laughs> like my dad, who just stand there and <laughs> I don't, I, I've had, to do everything. <laughs> I've, I've had people like right over my shoulder. And then, wow. I, mean, I mean, I try not to, <laughs> to like That's... look or anything. I just tell myself, I, I, I know what needs to get done. I have a time frame because yeah. like you said, Andrew, my, my price points are pretty fair, I think, too. And I, and, and I make it so that I leave it on myself to make the profit. 
So mm-hmm. I, I know my time frame. I know what it is. And if I can execute my plan, then that's where my profit comes in. If I don't and it extends or like I run into problems or, or our team does something improperly, then that starts to, to pay or like to, that's where my profit starts to kind of disappear. Sure. So, so whenever I have a client, I'm like, yeah, you're welcome to come check it out. If you have questions, I'm right here. But boom, I'm working. Bah, 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 bah. And what I've noticed is that they see me kind of doing it and going and boom, boom. And they kind of go, yeah, I'm just going to leave them because they, they trust you. Yeah. They, and you build that trust with them. You know, then they get comfortable and say, okay, you know what you're doing. You're exactly. experienced. And, and you don't let your, I know you don't. I mean, I'm pretty sure you don't, but I'll let you answer. Um, the workers that you hire or on your team, you don't let them drink beer while they're working, right? Oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I see yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> I see that have been often. Not even uh, intentionally, the, you know, the person that got hired, but, you know, behind their back. That's why it's good to have someone like yourself that's constantly on site overseeing their people. Because if you're not overseeing them, you know, people may, you know, bring in a bottle of beers and start, you know, working yeah. away. Yeah. And like, I mean, I've had multiple projects going at the same time. And, and that's why it's nice to partner with my dad where we could be from different side to side. Sure. We have an understanding mm-hmm. of like, okay, if, if uh, JC, my dad, Juan Carlos, JC's over there, then he, I know he's got that down. He's, he's over there managing that. And I'm over here. I yeah. like to get more down and dirty. I like to actually do the trade myself. I enjoy it. I feel like my day flies by like this. I know exactly what's going on with the project and it's just better for me that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we, we always like to be around making sure that things are going properly. And if somebody's like, Hey, I can't make it today. No worries. I'm stepping in anyways. I'm there. Right. Good. Okay. So the things that people should look for, make sure that their contractor is licensed, is bonded, is insured, right? Mm-hmm that they're using quality subcontractors if they are using subcontractors right or for people directly on their team they have a project plan and that they go over that project plan with you they go over estimates and what those estimates mean and why those estimates are there right yes and then that you're comfortable with that person generally right as a contractor working on your house and that they have the expertise and knowledge in order to do a good job and the job that you want. Right. But yeah. at the same time, I think to add to that is maybe not the owners like Steven and his father, but maybe someone that they trust themselves that kind of can be mm-hmm. the the point of contact and the planner, or not the planner, the manager on site, right? I would right. probably yeah, like a, foreman, add yeah. a foreman on site or someone on site that's managing and making making sure everyone's accountable for the day to go by smoothly and on time. Yeah, and I make like 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 I said, when there's multiple jobs going on, I make it a thing that I don't care if it's in Sherman Oaks and Whittier and San Dimas. For people who don't know where that's at, that's like an hour drive in each direction. Oh yeah. So I make sure yeah. like I'm gonna stop by there, I'm gonna stop by here, and I'm gonna stop by there. And if I get home a little bit later than I have to that day, well then that, that's that's what I do. That's what I. Do. It's the life we chose, Stephen. Exactly. We chose this life. Where <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you and to- you chose it because you enjoy it. Right. Yeah, and if you and see I my car, that's... I show up in a Prius. Like, I have my work truck, but I have the Prius because I want to make sure that I'm driving to all these places yeah. and that everything, whether if it's your house, then I'm making sure that it goes right. Right. And that's yeah. the kind of guy you need to do the work <laughs> <laughs> because they care about it personally. Right? Care, yeah. So, all right. Um, so, the last thing I want to just touch on looking forward and kind of predictions right and i think i I mentioned this to you andrew and and steven before and i know you hadn't heard of it before but 
Uh, it's something that you know a number of uh, people look at is the leading indicator of remodeling activity, right? Which mm -hmm. is basically a uh, annual growth in homeowner spending for improvements and repairs that is expected uh, going forward. So they look at every quarter going forward based on the previous quarters, right? And this is done by the uh, Joint Center for Housing Studies at Harvard University. And they usually, uh, I think they produce this and come up with a new estimate uh, every two quarters, so every half a year. Uh, and the one that they most recently came out with was showing that there's going to start to be a decrease in percentage of rate of change in the amount of remodeling activity going forward over the next two quarters of 2020 and into 2023. Uh, but the amount of money being spent on remodeling is still going to increase. It's not going to increase as exponentially as it has over the past two years. Uh, but it's still projected to increase between, so right now it's about $400 billion that's being put into remodeling, and it's projected to increase to about $450 billion. Um, but that rate of change is supposed to kind of start to level off. So not as many people are looking to put money into uh, remodeling as they have obviously over the past two years. It's probably volume is probably is what it, I haven't read the article yet, but I've seen the graph with you. I think the volume of remodels may come down, but the reason why price point of cost, the remodels is going to continue going up, not exponentially, but gradually is because of inflation, I think. And the other reason why it, it dips in the, in the, a little bit in the graph is because remodels, in my opinion, is tied to the economy and they're foreseeing a recession or some type of slowdown as we've been seeing this year to continue. And that's why the volume is probably coming down on remodels. Right. And that goes back into our conversation that we had around inflation on our previous episode. And just so if you guys haven't watched that, feel free to go back. Episode three. Look at that. We didn't have Steven on there, unfortunately. And yeah. is there is there a differential there with commercial and residential remodels? Yeah, is this both, Nick? Uh, no, I think this is just residential, residential. remodels. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, it's a good. That's a good. Um, that's definitely a great graph or data to have in your back pocket and to take a look at it, Stephen. Also for mm -hmm. myself yeah. and even even homeowners as well. But I think the reason why it also probably doesn't dip completely downward, um, even if there is a large recession and it, they still predicted to go up a little bit, maybe deviate downward a little bit. Mm -hmm. The reason why it's probably not an extreme dip down is because as we mentioned on episode three, I think Nick, more people are staying in their homes. They have a lower interest rate than, than ever before. They don't want to leave their home. They don't want to sell it. So they want to stay in place. Mm -hmm. And when right. you stay in place, what do you want to do? You want to enjoy where you live on the personal side of value of the interior and exterior of your home. Um, so you're going to spend money on a remodel. Right, exactly. Makes sense. And then just to verify your, your question, Andrew, this is for home improvements and repair spending for owner occupied homes only. So, okay. So it's even, okay. It even deviates a little specific. further. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That's good. Mm -hmm. Good to know. All right. Great. Well, I think uh, that's a wrap. I think we had uh, yeah. some quality information for you guys regarding remodeling, things you can should consider, things you should look into uh, as far as looking at contractors uh, and things to keep in mind. So 
Hope you enjoyed. Last, you know what, Nick? Sorry, one last. Yeah. Thing. Okay. When it comes to remodel, like like Andrew touched on too, I think that the personal uh, amount of uh, what's the word value, the personal amount of value that a remodel brings to your lifestyle is the most important part. So if you're mm -hmm. a person out there who wants to DIY something, go ahead, man. Enjoy the process. It's going to take you a little while, but have fun with it because I guarantee when you're done, it's going to be great. It's going to make you feel good. And right. you know, I'll be honest. You don't necessarily need a contractor for certain little things. Little so, things, yes. But big yeah. things, uh, maybe yeah. not. Yeah. Well, maybe. I mean, you might find that you enjoy it, you know, like you did. And that's yeah. ultimately what and you want to do. And if you don't enjoy it, and bring out your creative call. side that's right call. that's right and yeah. you know, the one thing we didn't touch on today we can do it for another day steven especially mm -hmm. you can touch on this and we can bring someone else as well permits what you yeah. need, should permit what you may get away with not permitting yes. and what is the absolute always get it permitted so right. that's the thing if you do it yourself you need to know what do i need to permit what am i okay with not permitting mm -hmm. yeah i think that would be a good episode on if you're building a house or if you're remodeling anything in your house, you know, Agreed. what permits you need and licenses and all that. And it's always changing. It's all, it's mm -hmm. always getting amended. So uh, right. that's the only comp, that's the complex thing with it's someone like Steven. You're always reading <laughs> yeah. that stuff, Steven. You're always staying up to it's date with that. It's always getting more and more difficult to build. Yeah. Especially in the, in California, at least. Yeah. I can't speak to anywhere else, but Same. yeah. All, all right. right well, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, comment below. Let us know what you think questions to other topics that you want us to touch on in the future and uh like and subscribe <laughs>